Turn, if you would, in your Bibles again to the first chapter here of the book of Colossians and our third part of our study here on the real Jesus. And a third window, a third picture that we can look at. And now the Apostle Paul remembers he gave us this this picture in the first four verses, reminding us this whole book, in essence, really is is about the Lord Jesus. This book of Colossians is the most Christocentric or the most Christ-centered book, in, I believe, in all of the Bible. But as you look at those first four verses, it clearly describes uh, that this is talking about Jesus, who is the Christ, he's the Lord, all these pictures of who he is because we've received him and believed on his name as Lord and Savior. And then from there on out, as I reminded you in our first study, if you weren't with us, uh, take in this whole first chapter and just circle all the personal pronouns, the him, the his, the he, the himself, uh, as now this one who is the Christ, this one who is the Lord, is described to us. And so three windows, we get the third one in our third part, the head of the church. And so Jesus as the head of the church. So this is the real Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have again just uh, come this afternoon to, to bask in your presence for a few moments and to study your word. And we would simply ask, God, that you from heaven would speak truth into our lives, that we would know the fullness of who you are, Jesus, that we'd never be mistaken about who is the head of the church. And so, God, we ask that you would bless us as we study now. Uh, please give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll pick up in verse 18 here in Colossians 1. And he is the head of the body, the church. And so a plain statement. You know, sometimes people will come in and they'll ask, you know, can I talk to the head of the church? And so when I pick up the phone, I say, his name is Jesus. And you can dial him up anytime. You... No, I don't say that. But he's the head of the church. And in, in functionality, if there's something wrong, it's probably my responsibility. However, there's one head to the church, and there is only one church in the world. There's exactly one church, and he is the head of that church. He is the Lord of that church. We are all part of one gigantic family known as the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head of it. There are all kinds of different ways that that gets expressed. Uh, We spent Saturday, part of yesterday afternoon, with Rolling Hills Covenant and Journey of Faith doing an outreach in Wilson Park. So there's three different churches there, but we're all of one body, and that was the glory of joining together. As we're sharing that, that universal, that wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we may paint the picture slightly different, but there's one Lord, and He's Lord over the entire church. There's one head. He is the one whom we are attempting to emulate and be like. So very often, people get hung up on trying to replicate people. We happen to be a Calvary Chapel. The founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, Pastor Chuck, is now in heaven with Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve was the founding pastor of this church. But they are not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we must remember that. As glorious as my time with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Steve was, neither of them would ever encourage you to worship them. We worship the Lord, and Him alone do we worship. Because if we get hung up worshiping people and personalities, 
then we will not represent the Lord in His fullness. We are people of the Lord Jesus Christ as the church. And he goes on now in these next three verses. Who is the beginning? In other words, in time, he was in the beginning. Before we were, he was the firstborn from the dead. And so we go back to that picture of the one who is the prototokos, the firstborn from the dead, the one who made all of our being alive possible. If Jesus is not raised from the grave, then we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And so he is the firstborn in that sense. He was not the firstborn in, in a sense that he was the first raised from the dead. He raised up the, the widow of Nain's son. He, he also raised up Lazarus. So there are other people that were raised from the dead. But Jesus was different than that because he was raised from the grave by the power of God the Father unto eternal life. You see, those other two were raised from the grave to die again. Jesus was raised only to live again. Amen? So first in that sense, that in all things he may have preeminence. Now as you look at these two words, they're very similar. They both begin with the prefix proto. And one is prototokos, in other words, that which is the one who is before all things. He's the one of one. And on the other end is prototeo. And prototeo is slightly different. Prototeo takes on the the connotation of he's the prototype. We would use the word prototypical. In other words, if you build something, generally in our world, you build what is called a prototype. If you're going to mass produce something... You, you sit down and you make the very first one. And they're kind of ugly at times. Not that Jesus is. But when you make something, say you're going to make you know, the next new golf club or whatever. And, and you sit down at a, in a machine shop someplace. And you begin to manufacture this, this golf head. And you put a shaft on it, a handle on it. You'll have the very first one of whatever kind it is. That is the prototype. And it's from that prototype that all of the rest of them are manufactured, and every last one of them is an exact copy of the prototype. Everybody understand? Jesus is the prototype of the church in that sense. Everything that he is, we are supposed to be. So if he's loving and kind and gentle and tender and all-wise, and, and we have him as our model, he is the prototype of what we are supposed to look like as the church. So when we say he's the head, he's more than just the ruler, he's actually the very image that we're supposed to be attempting to emulate in our world. So that when people see you, or see me, or see us function together, the world gets an actual glimpse of the Lord Jesus himself. Amen? That's who we are as the body of Christ. We're not trying to replicate me. We're not trying to replicate Calvary Chapel. We are trying to replicate Jesus in our world. And this is so important because this is the thing that bridges all the differences that we have in Christendom. You see, we get focused in on the specific doctrinal things that might separate us, and we forget it's Jesus that unites us. And it's him we're trying to emulate and be like. And so Jesus as the head of the church is in view here. For it pleased the Father that in him, that him, again, circle these personal pronouns, all the fullness should dwell. 
Do you remember what Jesus said? He who has seen me has seen the Father, right? So if in him all the fullness dwells, when you see Jesus, you got to see the Father. And when someone sees the church, we're supposed to, in like kind, be so much like Jesus that when the world sees the church function, the world sees Jesus function. When the world sees your hands reach out, it sees Jesus' hands reach out. When those words spoken are spoken, they're supposed to be the words of Jesus going into a hurting world. In that sense, he's the head, he's the prototypical one, and that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, check this out, because there's no person in here, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus... You are one of God's children, and you have been reconciled because, see, you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, right? But he has made us alive. And so now to highlight this, the Apostle Paul uses an accounting term. He says that by him to reconcile all things to himself. In other words, here's the deal. When you were dead, you were also in debt. You were in debt eternally, and you had a debt. If you're an accountant in here, you know what I'm going to say next. And if you like numbers, you'll you'll get it. And if you don't, oh well, it's an analogy. (laughs) You you see, in accounting sense, in in a set of books, and and we really need to let Washington, D.C. know this basic principle, you have what we call debts, those are the negative things, and you have those things which are assets, which are on the other side, or those things which are the credits to your account. And in accounting, you're supposed to have more things that are positive than things that are negative. Please, in Jesus' name, could Congress get that? But in an accounting sense, what happened was when you were born, you were born in trespasses and sins. So you were born in debt. In other words, had you gone spiritually to your ATM, stuck in your card, put in your PIN code, it would have come back, "Eh, not sufficient funds. Go to double H-E-L-L. That's what would happen. You can't get there without the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice it says that's how you got reconciled. You had this huge debt. Now, here's the awesome thing. Not only in that sense were you in debt and you couldn't balance your own books, somebody needed to balance them for you, but not only did Jesus take care of your old debts, like when you get married and you know you buy stuff you can't afford, and then as you get into the middle of your life, you finally figure that out and you stop being a little bit foolish. And so the middle of your life, you kind of generally do things pretty good, but at the end of your life, you try and save and make up for the whole mess. Here's what Jesus does. He comes into your life, takes care of your old bad debt, and he also takes care of the people that were driving like maniacs getting in the parking lot today, the one that almost cut me off for a service, that one. We're not so... I, I did the same thing to a guy a couple of weeks ago. It was unintentional, by the way. I, I, I'm like... And then I'm thinking, where'd that guy come from? And all of a sudden, you know, your mind is going. So you have your old bad debts. He reconciles those. You have the debts from today. He takes care of those. Here's the great part. He even takes care of the ones that you haven't even committed yet. He is reconciling your full balance sheet. Amen? Hallelujah. 
Because see, the old stuff, that's old, you know, I'm not, not actively engaged. The new stuff, well, I probably did something today. But what about the stuff that's next week or next month or next year? Because you're still in a body of flesh. To reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having noticed this, made peace. Oh, man. Because see, we were at war with God. Matter of fact, Scripture declares that you were at enmity with God. In other words, you were so messed up with God that you were actually his enemy. That's why Jesus said, look, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground with Jesus. You're not kind of, sort of on Jesus' side. You're either on his side or you're not on his side. So you can choose to remain at war, which you are by nature in Adam, because you're a sinner. For the wages of sin, amen, Romans 3, is death. But the free grace that we've received reconciles our books, and it does it with the blood of his cross. So we know what Jesus uses to balance our books. That's why he's the head of the church. You see, if it's all about you doing things a certain way, or going to a certain type of a congregation, or having a certain worship style, or singing a certain type of song, or not singing another type of song, or having a certain way that the message is delivered. You see, if it's about anything other than Jesus, then some people aren't going to get it, and they're not going to get in. So he reconciles us with just himself, his blood, his sacrifice, made for me, which takes care of my past, takes care of my present, and takes care of my future. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And that's why it's exclusively Jesus, family. That's that's the deal. At the end of the day, this is all about Jesus. As he is the head, uh, and I want you to see this really clearly. Look, he's the source. He's the origin. He's the leader. He's the ruler. He's all those things. He's the corporate CEO. He is before all of us. He's the top person in the structure that is the church. He's the number one. And furthermore, he's outside of time, and he's outside of us in the sense that he's the God-man, but he's still God. So nobody's ever going to fight him for position. There's going to be somebody come up within the ranks that's going to finally become the most exalted human ever in human history, and so it's going to take Jesus' place. Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the one of one. Nobody ever gets there because none of us will ever be God. He's going to remain God and thereby remain always the head of the church. It's exclusively his position. And he does so as he rules over the one body. That's why he's the firstborn. That's why he is the prototypical one. He's the prototype. He's the model that all of the rest of us, I hope I can be a little bit like Jesus. I pray. That's my goal. That's my aim. As we study the word of God, that transforms our lives. You see, just as Paul would write to the church at Corinth, there in in 2 Corinthians 5, you see, behold, all things are becoming, we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so what's happening is the old us is getting transformed into the new us. Because we're trying to be like Jesus. That's the function of the church. As we get together, we study God's word, we go out and serve, we bless people, we do what God called us to do, then we're trying to help other people start on that journey, 
continue on that journey and finish that journey of being as much like Jesus as we can possibly be while we're still here. He's the head. But man, we get all hung up in it. He's just simply the preeminent one. He's before everything. You just put Jesus at the top of the list always. Can I tell you that I think I've spotted a problem in our culture, in our country? Sometimes we put political party over Jesus. Sometimes we put the fact that we're Americans over Jesus. Got a few nutty folks that put Fox News over Jesus. Oh, Lord, no. Or MSNBC. We put something over Jesus. And when you put something over Jesus, Jesus is no longer the head of the church. And so we start haggling about things that if we would recognize Jesus as the head, we would not be engaged in some of the things that we're engaged in because we're arguing about the wrong thing. As the church, we're supposed to be like Jesus, not like a Republican or a Democrat. The Constitution is not over Jesus, okay? He's the reason we have a Constitution. We need to get that. He's the first place. Nothing else is the first place. Not not our race, not our political affiliation. Nothing is supposed to be above Jesus. And of course, He is known by His Word. So His Word should be preeminent along with Him. That solves those things. Because then we can turn to Him and we can turn to the Word instead of turning to Fox News. I actually saw a couple. They were fighting, literally. They were arguing over something they heard on Fox. They're sitting there arguing about, well, you know, uh, so-and-so said. And I'm like, you're a believer. Settle it in Jesus. Not on whether Megyn Kelly said it or not. Make Him preeminent. Before all others, Jesus was and Jesus always will be. He's God's eternal Son. He is the Savior. He is the Creator. And He's the head of the church. We need to get that. Leave Him where He belongs. Please. Please leave Him where He belongs. In our lives and as the one that we worship together corporately. You see, as as the Lord takes that place, then we then take our structure underneath that. And so I'll have my right place, and you'll have your right place. But if I end up above Jesus, then I've had people do that. You know, they'll call me up like, like I've got a special phone that goes directly to God or something. It's like, no, he's actually your Lord as well. You can go straight to him. You don't need me. There is no mediator between God and man save Christ Jesus. Amen? So he's the head before all things. The neat story back, turn of the century, 1893, the World's Columbian Exposition turned into the World Fair eventually, but at the Columbian Exposition, because fairs were a big deal back then. There was, you know, nobody went to the movies, that type of thing. They went to fairs, county fairs. And so the World Exposition was like the world's largest fair. They decided what they would do is put together a par- parliament of world religions. And they would get a representative of all the major world religions, and they would basically get their own 10 minutes of fame. 
you know, pick out your best points, you know, whatever, of Buddhism or Islam and biblical Christianity. D.L. Moody was selected to represent biblical Christianity, evangelical Christendom in, in the United States of America. And so he was, he was then hounded by other pastors and religious leaders within the church to say, well, you know, you just need to go right in there and just tell them like it is and beat up on them. And Moody said, look, I'm going to be talking to non-believers. They need to know the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, the, the carnal mind can't know those things. He said, I got a better idea. I'm going to make Jesus so attractive that men will be drawn to him. Amen? We make Jesus attractive. We, we should mirror and emulate Jesus, not some particular set of doctrinal rules that we have come to understand about what the Bible says. We model Jesus as we are that new creation. And I love this. One of the, there's so many stories of people, you know, just having their lives transformed. The chief among them, one of those, one of those ones that just boggles my mind. There's probably not a person in here who cannot a cappella sing Amazing Grace. Even if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you probably know Amazing Grace. It, it is the world's number one religious song. The author of that was John Newton, and he was a slave ship captain. But his life was radically transformed, and he became part and leader of the abolitionist movement. He was so renewed as a new creation of God, he recognized the sin that had befallen him. He recognized what he had done, and he lived the whole rest of his life doing everything he could to make it right. At the end of his life, he was not altogether there, and in fact, he would lose words frequently, and sometimes he would completely forget where he was in his message, and he'd have to be reminded. And it was on one of those occasions as he was preaching to a crowd that somebody reminds him, well, you were in this passage of Scripture, and he says, you know what? My memory is nearly gone, but I can remember two things. I am a great sinner, but I have an even greater Savior. Keep Jesus up here as a new creation in Christ. So very often we, we forget who we are. You see, it's His Word that we follow. It's His work that we want to accomplish. It's His will we're engaging in. It's His ways we want to walk in. We need to make sure that that is the case as we live out our lives. Too very often... We miss that, and we start focusing on other things. And family, church, church is about Jesus. Now, it's great. We have all kinds of wonderful things going on here, and I am so blessed to be uh, the pastor of this church. But this church is about Jesus. And that's who we need to leave at the top. And if we do that, here's what happens people might just get a little glimpse of the fullness of God, who God is, how much He loves us, how much He sent Jesus into the world to die for us, how much He's been hunting us down while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? I, I love the fact that Jesus came after me. I was going the wrong way. He said, that's the wrong way. And I'm telling I know. 
And he says, well, I'm going to make it really bad over there. Will you just go for it, God? And eventually he won. I'm going the wrong way. Probably all of you, most of you can probably echo that same thing. You knew you were going the wrong direction. And the Lord, by his grace, is hunting you down. That's the fullness of God, and that dwells in Jesus. The pleoma, the completeness, the totality of who the Lord God is, is in Jesus. And Paul's just saying, look, if you want to know what that looks like, you're supposed to be able to look at the church. Do you realize that people in the world are supposed to be able to look at the church and see Jesus? But sometimes when they look at the church, they don't see Jesus, do they? They see churches that are they're more adamantly fighting against one another and, and more about what they're not about than they are about Jesus. And that's sad. We need to be about Jesus. Do we have doctrinal differences with our brothers and sisters? Of course. But we don't need to make it about differences. We need to make it about Jesus. Amen? That's what the church is about. That's the fullness of God. Why? Because that's brought us radical reconciliation. Through the blood of his cross, he's taken your balance sheet and actually balanced it. And let me give you a clue. All of the work that you could have ever done by the works of your flesh, no one would ever have been justified. So your balance sheet, just from your old sins, before you came into even an understanding of who Jesus was, if you just had to balance your old debt, you're dead. If you have to take care of your own debt today, you're dead again. And if you talk about the future stuff, just stay dead. You're already dead, okay? (laughs) It's not happening. And so what does Jesus do? He goes to Calvary's cross to provide for you the one way that you can be reconciled to God, past, present, and future. His own blood, which is sufficient to cleanse all of my sin. And he puts us into that right relationship. That's radical reconciliation. That means he balanced the books while you're doing the very thing that keeps them unbalanced. You're adding to the debt side of the ledger and he's putting in more righteousness than you can put in debt. That's pretty awesome to me. Because I can mess stuff up. Maybe you don't, but I can. I can get over here on this side of the ledger and I can have me a thought or two. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, Lord, if I just had to clean up my own mess, that's never happening. And then I think about all your messes. We're in deep trouble. Radical reconciliation, amen? And he says, not only, not only that, but all things. He doesn't just reconcile us back to him. He's going to reconcile this whole world back to him. Because we kind of messed that up, too, at the garden, didn't we? When the curse comes upon the world, the second law of thermodynamics goes into play. Everything starts to decay. Rot, rust, mold, mildew. Look at us. That all comes into play. And God says, look, I'm not only going to reconcile the body of Christ back to me, and anyone who wants to be a part can be a part. All you need to do is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But I'm actually going to reconcile the world. We just finished that in the book of Revelation. Chapter 20, 21, 22. Incredible. Just go online, read, watch the studies. 
a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new creation, new bodies to go with that new environment, a whole new world. Sounds like a Disney song. And no, I'm not singing it. And because of that, we have a radical relationship. Because there's been radical reconciliation, we have a radical relationship. By grace and through faith. You see, we're used to working for everything. And here we get a free gift of God to reconcile by Him all things to Himself. No matter where it is, whether it's here on this earth or whether it's in heaven, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover all my transgression, all my sin, all my willing disobedience. You know, some people have kind of that view that, well, the only things you really need forgiveness for are the really bad things or the things that you know of. I can't remember my sins from yesterday, much less my whole entire life. You know, those little attitudinal things, you guys got those? Every time I drive through the Home Depot parking lot, I cop a major attitude. I have to pray when I drive in. I'm like, there are crazy people in this parking lot, God, and they're trying to kill me. I don't know why they have to do 85 miles an hour, but they do. Help me to have compassion on that. And you you have that little look in your eye. It's like if anybody saw that, they go, that guy's not a pastor. Then they go, hi, Pastor Jeff. God bless you. No, you have a little, don't you, anybody got attitude and all things? You need forgiveness for that, by the way. Praise God, his blood cleanses us from all that unrighteousness, that stuff, that junk, that remnant, the stuff of the old man that's still kind of floating around in there somewhere. Radical restoration, radical reconciliation, radical new relationship. His blood keeps us there. You see, his saving grace is also keeping grace. Hallelujah. Anybody thankful for the keeping grace of God? It's it's awesome that we're saved, but he also keeps us. Amen. Because if I was me, I'd give us like a grace period. You know, we have that in in legal clauses, a grace period. Well, I'm in the grace period. And then after that, death awaits. That's what would happen to us. But he gives us grace to save, and then he gives us grace to keep. Praise the Lord. And because of that, four radical truths for us. Look, he's Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. He is God. He's fully God. That's why his name is Emmanuel. God with us. He came. He was born of a a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He then allowed himself to be put to death on Calvary's cross. His blood shed. But he was fully God when he died on that cross, without sin. God made him to be sin for us. He did not sin himself. He was made to be sin because of me. And because of that, God put all of my transgressions on him, the chastisement of my peace. That's why Jesus paid that price. It wasn't because he was filled with sin. It's because I was filled with sin. He's God, and only God could do that. Sinful man can't die for sinful man. Leaves us with the same problem. He's creator. It's awesome when you link these. Look, he made you for a purpose. 
He wants that radical restoration and reconciliation and relationship. And so these truths can be yours and be mine. He's the creator and he's actually the head of all church. Every church, no matter what's on the building, no matter what's on the door, no matter what's on the stationery, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Amen? Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. I want to give opportunity. If you're here today and maybe you came in and you thought that the church was about some kind of membership, look, I'm here to tell you that church is about Jesus and it's only about Jesus. And Jesus died for you. And he died so that you could be set free from the bondage of sin and the penalty of that sin, which is death. And so, body of Christ believers, if you just close your eyes, bow your head, I just want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here today, and, and maybe this is your first time in church, and you've never heard of, that you can have a relationship with God, you do that through Jesus Christ. So I'm simply going to ask you, if you would like to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you just slip your hand up in the air so I can see it. I see that hand. Any others? I see that hand as well. I see another hand. His hands up in the sanctuary. His hands up actually all over the sanctuary. I see those hands. For those who have your hands raised, not only does the Lord see them, but the church is going to pray for you, and you're going to pray as well. So you can go ahead and put your hands down. Those of you that raised your hands, if you would just pray with me in body of Christ, please pray with them. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. And I ask Jesus that you'd forgive my sins and that you'd cleanse me from my unrighteousness. I offer my life to you as my Savior and my Lord. And I ask that you'd write my name in your Lamb's Book of Life. I promise to walk with you all of my days and I give you my life. It's yours. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.